Welcome back, everybody, to Rules of the Arena number 52. My guest this week is Tice. He is the owner and founder of Idea Mountain and the creator of the Journey modular bag system. Tice was able to join me over Zoom from the sunny state of California a few weeks ago, and at the time, my Journey bag was still on its way. Since then, I've had a few weeks to try it out, and I'm incredibly happy with it. I've used it every day so far for work, just carrying my laptop. I got two cell phones and my iPad, some paperwork, business cards, and occasionally product samples for my full-time job. Weekends, it's made my life a lot easier traveling around, you know, recording episodes on the road with a new mobile studio and just getting down to visit family. It's been awesome. So in this last week, I even got to take it out with me on an ice fishing trip. It's an awesome product. It's held, uh, held up great so far. Uh, just head over into the link in the show notes and you can click check out Idea Mountain and order yours today. Make sure you use the promo code Rules of the Arena. That's all one word and you can save 15% off. And there's free shipping in the U.S. right now. And before we get started, I just want to give a quick shout out to another podcast called Fire Breathing Kittens. Are you looking for a good story, laughter among friends, maybe even a mystery or two? Well, you are in luck. Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Each episode is a separate three hour long story, like a little movie for your ears. So you can listen to their adventures in any order you'd like. So join them as they play D&D quests, as they solve mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. Fire Breathing Kittens podcast, fantasy, action, mystery, and friendship. Perfect. There we go. We're good. So, Tice, thanks for coming down tonight, or well, rather coming on the show. I, you're out in California. I'm here in the delightful Wisconsin right now. <laughs> yeah. But if you wouldn't mind well, just kind of introducing yourself a little bit to the folks listening. Absolutely. Again, my name's Tice, Tice Sniffin. I am the founder and uh, bottle chief bottle washer of uh, a company uh, I call Idea Mountain. Uh, and our, the reason I started the company or founded the company kind of the second time around, another story, is because I uh, wanted to sell a bag idea I had, a travel and commuter bag, uh, everyday carry bag system that I invented and patented and wanted to get out into the world. And I hope that I, um, I can help people travel better in the life. Sure. So I just got to ask, I mean, what what made you want to go from Wisconsin to California, despite the <laughs> weather climate out there? <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, it was that that was a while ago. Now, I moved out to California in 1998 and I was just turning 30 at the time. And I was living actually in Milwaukee, which is a great town <laughs> and um, having a having a great time. I'd been there for three or four years and really enjoyed my time there made a ton of great friends and it was just kind of a time for me to step up and go to the next level and kind of get in a bigger pond is kind of how i thought about it and so there was that classic like well are you going to move to the east coast or the west coast <laughs> and um and then and then there was a lovely lady who uh, had uh, had moved to the to san francisco on a whim she wasn't sure she was doing it for the whole time or whatever um and i had taken a trip and part of my kind of always trying to do international travel i'd gone to visit some friends in japan and on the way back i stopped in san francisco to see this lovely lady and there i am in april or march or april of uh you know having been in wisconsin in the slush and snow beforehand 
and I just standing in San Francisco and it's like so many cool people and so many cool things. It was the original dot com boom. And it was like if it's the flowers are blooming and this lovely lady was there. And I was like, <laughs> what am what am I doing? I need to come. I know where I'm going. I'm going to San Francisco. <laughs> and uh that lovely lady later smartly for her figured out that I was not for her. And, um, and, uh, we, I proceeded to continue to live in San Francisco and had sure. the dot com deal where I was the sales guy for software and various things and consultant, yada, yada, yada. I had the first reiteration of my company called idea mountain, where I was a consultant helping small businesses get organized what they now refer to because they've had these TV shows as professional organizers, basically. <laughs> yep. But this was so long ago, I was helping people go from paper files to a Palm Pilot. <laughs> and I was considered this fancy, amazing digital guru who could tell you about your Palm Pilot. Uh, so, and, and then I uh, uh, ended up met my now wife and, and then we had an opportunity to buy property in the, in the woods here. And we went for it. So we did this whole lifestyle change from living in the city in a tiny apartment with no car to living on 10 acres in the woods in a yurt where I am now and um, proceeded to be home builders and homesteaders for five or six years, mm -hmm. which I think also just to kind of keep on ringing my own bell gave me these abilities to to fix things, to, mm -hmm. to build things and see how, oh, here's a here's the thing I bought. It's not good enough. I'm going to change it. And that's kind of the mentality I brought to the backpack system. And, and through various reasons, I started getting involved in tweaking my own gear and ended up kind of inventing something. And now I'm trying to sell it. <coughs> Excuse me. God. Uh, so yeah. did you did you move out to California with the idea of starting a company or were you moving out there to try to get ahead of that dot com boom? I really neither of those things. I was just a guy who wanted <laughs> to go to a big city. Yeah, I I didn't have a plan other. I didn't have a plan. No, I just I wanted to go and be in the uh, in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So I, I showed up in the city and started looking for a job. So how do you come up with the original iteration for Idea Mountain? And how did you come up with a name for that? I mean, if you say Idea Mountain, I don't necessarily think, you know, Palm Pilots in that case or, you know, whatever the case <laughs> may be in the tech industry. You know, yeah, especially yeah, if you look at yeah. the names that were coming out at the time. Right. I... I don't know, really. Like, I just, I thought of myself, it's probably just an arrogant move. I thought of myself as a guy who had a lot of ideas. Like, I've got a pile of ideas. I got a mountain of ideas. <laughs> Let me tell you how to fix yourself. And right. like, you know, and, and it was just, it was, you know, it was 1999 and I could buy a, a, the URL and I did. And then I just never gave it up. And so with various things, it was a blog for a while. It became the blog about building the house when we were doing that here in the woods. And then I just shifted around and, and then we live on a mountain and, you know, I'm still idea guy. And so it just continued to make sense. And then I'm into the backpack and while it's not mountaineering gear, it just kind of seemed to play well 
and continue to be the thing. And big picture, and I hope if people are watching this and and um, are are in the business world, a small business world, thinking about it, I I wanted to be uh, a location, uh, you know, a destination in a way for for ideas, because when I was starting this bag concept. I tried to give it away. Basically, I tried to be like, "Hey, you're, you know, can I work with you as a bag company? Hey, Patagonia, how do I, you know, or North Face, how do I talk to your bag designers?" And they're like, "No, thank you." Boom. <laughs> and um, and I talked to a couple of other small time uh, people, people who are now kind of in my same space, uh, but they have their own ideas and their way of doing things, and they didn't want to hear my kind of funky concept, which is understandable. Mm-hmm. So. But I was so frustrated. I'm like, if you guys don't work with me, I'm going to end up competing with you. Like, why don't we come together? You've got an idea for a crossbody sling, and I've got this idea for this combination modular system, and you've got an idea for an ultralight bag. Like, why are we all competing and starting businesses and and doing all, spending all the money and all the superfluous things to be our own businesses? Why don't we come together? And so part of my bigger picture is to focus more on ideas and try to help other people bring ideas in my silo, but bring Mm -hmm. ideas to market. So that's why the idea mountain kind of felt like it still was a good idea. I mean, why, why choose the big backpack market? I mean, it's, it's (laughs) established market. There's some big names out there. (laughs) Why not just shows me right. Why not just make the prototype and, patent it and then sell it off to from that point if you're not making you know if you're not necessarily getting in the collaboration door if you will yeah yeah well i um i don't know uh in part because i did need a job i wanted to do something i wanted to i think i've got more than just the one idea i think that in a way and this sounds kind of like corporate marketing speak, but I I have some kind of lifestyle concepts that I would like to bring to the public. And through that, through the window of gear, I want to talk to people about the philosophy of being prepared, of traveling light, of, of looking good. And um, so, you know, in my mind, I've got three or four other products uh, that are in is still in the gear market that I'd like to pursue. And mm-hmm. so two years ago, yeah, maybe I could have patented it and, and just tried to just sell it to somebody. But I kind of I had the dream. I wanted to be just like everybody else who wants to do it. They, <laughs> I wanted to be the, my own boss and, and, and have a sustainable thing that, that went on too. So in what you've come up with is the journey, a modular bag system. So how did you go about creating that the first time? Because I started a podcast and I don't really, I can't really say I started it because I found a guy that had a studio already and he goes, yeah, here, just talking to this microphone, go ahead. So how do you go about <laughs> creating a backpack from the ground up? Well, great question. And by the way, you're great at it. I've been listening to your podcast. And I, <laughs> like it's obvious why somebody would give you a microphone because you're, but, you're <laughs> I, I always say the first about seven or eight episodes don't really count. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the button. It's really good. But how do you go about creating it? Well, I um, there's I would say there's kind of three 
three chapters to the creation process. The first is when you're just fucking around by yourself. You don't know what you're doing at all. And you're not, there's nothing professional about it. Uh, You know, and I started drawing on pieces of paper and talking to my wife and holding things together. Like, wouldn't it be cool if this was on this? And like, why is it, you know, that kind of thing. And then I did find your, your original looked like you did with either crayons or colored pencils. Yep. 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 I stole colored pencils from my daughter and this part will be the, yeah, exactly. And, um, and then, and my wife is actually a fabulous seamstress can do, can make amazing things and used to make her own clothes and all that. But she is just has no time for me. I like, it's really hard to get her to make something for me. So I, um, I have to kind of use her tools and make it myself, which is fine. Not her deal. That's fine. But, uh, but she does listen to me and give me feedback when I'm like, well, what if this flap was over here? And then she'll be like, oh, that'll be really hard to do. You got to go figure it out, do it different. But so there's that first process, a bit, which is basically in the back of the napkin concept where everybody has this idea that that level but so then i i got serious and i'm like all right i'm gonna spend it'll only cost me like and i did the math oh it'll only cost me like eight thousand dollars i'll have the whole business up and running no problem (laughs) and uh so i i ended up um through uh my voracious internet usage i ended up connecting and basically networking in the bag community and i was able to connect with a number of people in this sphere i got connected and got some really good early advice from a from a designer who works new who now works for yeti but he worked for columbia before that and you know and he's a he's a bit corporate guy he likes having the real job he's not going to start his own company too but he was great to give me insights and stuff like that and then um I talked to another bag company very similar to mine. Uh, shout out to Ethnotech Bags uh, for a, a couple, Jake and Corey, who are from Minnesota, the Twin Cities. And uh, they live in Bali now and have a <laughs> multi line of bags and they're doing great. Um, so good for them. They're an example of my, you know, the success I'd like. And amazingly, Jake and Corey like replied to my emails when I started sending stuff to their customer service line. Mm-hmm. And the reason I was talking to them is because they did, their bags are, oh, and it's super cool. Check it out, ethnotech.com. I won't sell their stuff. But they, what the, one of the things they did was the, in their marketing, they talked about their fabulous relationship they have with their manufacturing company, which is a small factory in Vietnam. And to me, that's another really important part about becoming a company and creating a materialist good. Like, I don't want to be screwing over these people in another country or something like that. Like, I'm not going to go and, you know, go child labor or whatever for the cheapest price. I wanted a real relationship with a really good manufacturer. And I was asking Jake and Corey, how do I get a relationship like that? How did you meet those people? And amazingly, they hooked me up with a couple of other manufacturers to talk to. I ended up actually going to Vietnam and my bag is made in Vietnam. Like, by the way, all fabulous bags. I tried real hard to find some manufacturers in in this in uh, the United States, and most of them don't want to work with startups. It's too mm-hmm. too risky for them. They they're yeah. So and we can talk more about that if you like. But um, but through them, I uh, I got good advice from Jake and Corey, 
And then I also uh, connected up with uh, a woman who did uh, design work on the side of running her own bag company. And so then I st- so then now, I'm, now I start paying people. So I'm in this second chapter of the business where I'm uh, I, I, getting a design help to specific things, doing the, the CAD drawings and stuff like that. That'll that really start being able to give the take it from the napkin to the design table where then I can hand it to the manufacturer. And, um, and that, and then I also started the patent process because that was a big piece of advice from these, from these folks. And, uh, it turns out a friend of mine is a, uh, teaches patent law at the university of Minnesota. See, I've got all these Minnesota twin cities. And, um, and he connected me up with a patent lawyer. And so we started that process. And, uh, and then of course, through that process, you have to get, you have to define everything and give them lots of drawings and all this stuff. So that I quickly burned through my imaginary $8,000 budget doing, getting these things together. And then, and then uh, that third chapter is working with my actual manufacturer. And I was lucky enough to uh, in 2019 to go to, uh, Vietnam and tour a bunch of factories. And I actually had a lot of help from the, the zipper company, the YKK, um, those, the, some of their representatives in Vietnam helped me out a ton by introducing me to a, a bunch of other companies and manufacturers. But I ended up working with the, the manufacturer that I had originally met through the Ethnotech bag folks. And then that process began the the real meat of it, where we were doing prototyping. So I gave him all my drawings, and we had Zoom calls, and we started shipping prototypes back and forth uh, from Vietnam, which is, again, like I would have preferred to do it uh, with a local person, with a uh, with an American uh, prototyper, but I couldn't find anybody. I basically, I found, I found one local guy. I thought it was going to be great. It seemed like we had a lot in common. And then he wanted $8,000 to make one prototype. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, I could fly to Vietnam and sit there for a week with them and come right. back and still have $6,000 left. Right. Like, what do you <laughs> so I worked with my guy and we ended up uh, doing about eight, prototypes back and forth over the spring and summer of 2019. And, uh, and then finally, and again, my manufacturer, who is a fabulous guy and actually runs his own label as well, about 50% of what he produces is his own stuff. Um, he helped me a lot by giving me advice. And so I'm not a bag designer who understands how to backstitch a triple seam or anything like that. <laughs> I just, I'm smart enough to say, he knows what he's doing and this bag is great. And he and I guarantee every aspect of the manufacturing of this bag. Sure. So, I can just, if I can just go back to, you so say you said three phases, we can just go back to the first yeah. phase real quick and break that down. So you said you ran the numbers and you figured you could start this company with $8,000. I mean, where are you pulling <laughs> those numbers from? Are you just sitting uh, there thinking and like, Oh yep, this sounds right. Or are you, what kind of research are you doing? Whatever the case may be. Yeah, well, it was obviously wrong. I'm more like 60 or 70 grand into it by the <laughs> way. But um but uh 
I, you know, it's, it's hard to say. I, I had, I also believed that, uh, that my Kickstarter campaign, that, that you just, you just show up at Kickstarter and they start handing you money, right. which is not how it works. <laughs> um, and uh, so there was uh, I, the number around, around the 8,000, obviously a bunch of that was, was the patent process. And I, I've probably spent, ended up spending close to 10,000 on the patent process alone. But at the time it looked like I was going to get through that with three or four and then, and then help my, my bag designer person, the, the person who was good at originally doing the drawing. Um, she was only going to be like a couple grand in, in consulting fees and, and, and time like that. And then, and then there was like, Oh, well, and then we'll start uh, do setup. And the world is even you know pre-pandemic. The world is set up for e-commerce now. Mm-hmm. You know the the internet is what we all imagined it was going to be in in the '90s, which is you know you can I have a, a warehouse in in Boise, Idaho, and I ha- I have a you know the software that's all connected to it, and my uh, my marketing guy is in Utah, and my manufacturer is in. Vietnam and it's all coordinated and we know what we're doing and everything is tracked and the money, you know, I've got all these different ways to pay. It all works now. Um, and so that's not very expensive, but you know, it, to set up the commerce site and get things going, mm-hmm. there's some fees and the warehouse fees, things like that. But, but most of that is ongoing. So the, those are where my math, my bad math numbers came from <laughs> kind of that idea. And if, so the seems like the bulk of it was the the patent process. I mean, do you think it's possible to do the patent DIY, or do you recommend lawyer find a lawyer right out the gate, just streamline it? Yeah, find a lawyer right out of the gate. I mean, it is you you can do, and I did. You know, you can search a lot of stuff uh, on Google. There's a whole Google patent section of the U.S. Patent Office and stuff. But of course, there's also global patents, international patents. And so mm-hmm. I don't know how that works. You know, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to know how it works, <laughs> you know, whatever. And, um, and you, so you search and you search and you search and you can find a lot of stuff, but, and then, you know, um, but then when I actually hired the lawyer and he's got his person who does the search and they're like, oh, here's 17 other ones that I hadn't seen at all. And, um, and so we, it all worked out and like, it was still possible to do, but yeah, I mean, at a certain point, you, you don't want to be an expert on everything or you'll just, you'll never get started. (laughs) My philosophy. And with the manufacturing side with the, why is it that us manufacturers are so hesitant to work with a startup? I mean, it doesn't seem like it'd be much of their capital up front. Yeah. Right. Outside looking in. Yep. Oh, so I only, I only got one really good explanation from one uh, manufacturer out of Chicago um, and great guy does actually does vast majority of his stuff is uh, with the government, with the military. Um, and he just, yeah, I mean, he had a couple of simple uh, explanations. One is he's got the government contracts. He gets to charge them premium prices because they need to know that the supplier is in the States. And so therefore he can, charge what he wants and um and so he's on easy street already he doesn't really need new customers was kind of what he was telling me mm-hmm. and then second when he and and 
which is understandable for him. The second thing was whenever he had done work with somebody like myself, a new startup, there is time on, on the manufacturing side, as you could imagine in any factory setting, they've got to think it through and get their people and train them and, and, you know, get systems in place to create your product. Mm -hmm. They can't just will you know free 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 ball at all they've got right. to figure out they need a team of people you know one person does zippers one person does straps and da, 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 da. so it's a process and so there is some investment on his side and what happened though is um what he said would happen was he would work with somebody get them up and running they'd get a product they they'd do their first minimal 500 piece order a thousand piece order and then if they had success and started coming back and ordering from him again, they would then take it to China and go for the super low price. Of course. And so, so he would lose, you know, and so he was cycling through those startups and just saw it as not worth his time. I imagine he's not able to turn around much of a profit there because yeah, if you're building somebody's prototype, that's time off your line of making your already established customers work. So I can understand that. Right, right. Yeah. When you when you and got my, over yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. So, so I was just gonna say my the my factory the one I work with my bag probably had about fifteen different people working on it, which is just kind of mind blowing, right? And, and maybe even more. I don't actually know, but I do know of these fifteen people who had to do all these different parts. And just to imagine, like you know, in mine, I mean, yes, sewing is sewing, and putting a strap on is a strap up. But like to to measure each little thing and make sure you do it right, and you know, to fully guarantee it, like you can imagine getting fifteen people to do the thing just right five hundred times. Right. <laughs> like that's that's not an overnight process. So it's an investment. Right. And so when you're over there and you're talking to the manufacturers in Vietnam, I'm in sales myself and it's my job to go out and find people that aren't buying my company's product and convince them they should try it out and be friends with me too. Yeah. When you're over there, are you selling your idea and your product or are they trying to make a sales pitch for you to come work with them? Um, well, it was a little bit of both. It was more, they weren't really selling me. Now I, I, I toured five factories and met with a sixth um sales guy or whatever and uh they were they were showing off you know doing the like this are so they were doing a bit of a sales pitch but they're also assessing me and trying to figure out if i'm really worth the time and the effort also um and in part in part that it maybe attracted me in that kind of negative salesy way, the guy, my, my guy, Duck is his name, owns the factory. Um, he was basically telling me he didn't really want to <laughs> work with me or need to work with me, um, but he was willing to work with me because I was a friend of a friend. This mm -hmm. is my uh, Jake and Corey. He was willing to have the meeting. And then I just, arrogantly i'll also say i think he was intrigued by the by the bag design i think that he he mostly works in kind of the school bag the kids book bag kind of market and mm -hmm. well, he also does a medical medical stuff he, he does my stuff for the mayo clinic but um well and and then some other also really strange things like a bag to carry your bike on an airplane 
You know, if you have a $5,000 bike, you could break it down and he, he makes those kind of bags too. But he did not work in this travel space. And I think that was attractive to him. Sure. So he was like, eh, I don't need you. You're kind of a nice guy. This is my factory. We can help you out is how the sales pitch went. Sure. <laughs> and actually that's, that was great for me. Like I didn't want to be sold. I didn't want to be, you know, upsold or anything either. And, um, and I did, I'm lucky enough to be working with him, the owner of the company. Sometimes you show up and you're like, here's, they're like, oh, Mr. Secondary Assistant Manager will will be your main contact. And you're like, <laughs> oh, I, I'm not sure I want that. Right. So. And Corey, you mentioned Kickstarter. I mean, what was the uh, yeah, experience yeah. like with Kickstarter? Well, how'd that go? I've never used it before. I've seen it. I've, I've helped out a couple different companies with it before, but... Obviously, my side of the table is going to be a completely different experience than the person who's sweating to try to get their product out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that would be kind of, or maybe I would call that my fourth chapter. I don't want to get up to chapter 11 in this situation. <laughs> but, the, um, but the fourth chapter of starting the business was um, would be that, like, actually starting it, like selling it, selling the product. And it, with Kickstarter or crowdfunding of any any kind, what they what you do there is, you know, you basically you put your idea out. You somehow, ideally, a nicely made commercial, and say, "Here's my idea. Will would you buy this?" And people pledge and say, "That's cool. I want to support this company. I want to crowdfund. I'll pledge the about the amount of money that will get me the product when they finally make it." just to define crowdfunding for people who might not know. And so you don't have to do anything. You can show up with a piece of paper or just make a video with your phone and be like, Hey, I'm thinking about making a, a ladder for cats. So, so uh, isn't that a good idea. Like cats need to go up and, right. and people might give you money. Like who knows? And then you got to go find a ladder manufacturer and, or, or a bag manufacturer. Just start from once you get funded. Um, but so, and that's another aspect of it. When you, uh, the, the customer or the, the backer back something, you kind of, you give them your credit card, but they don't charge your card until the goal is reached. So, and the goal is set saying like, if we get $16,000, I promise you, we will make these products and you'll get one. Mm-hmm. But if we get, if we only get $15,000, no, no blood, no foul. No charge, no card is charged. Nobody gets any money. Sure. That so that's that's the concept, and um, it's been around a while now. Crowdfunding, Kickstarter uh, specifically, and there's a lot of people out there who've really figured out how to do it. And there are people, there are companies who just use Kickstarter or crowdfunding as their marketing. And so there are companies, well-established companies on there, who will bring their eight <laughs> different product to the to market by putting it on uh kickstarter which good for them if they can they can uh use their customer base and push them through the kickstarter funnel and get that proof of concept before they even have to invest the money on the marketing or on the manufacturing great um but i knew i wanted to do this so i was gonna do this and i was gonna find the money in my you know my child's college fund if i I was in that process of going that whole, the first three chapters that we talked about already, I was doing that already and then planning the Kickstarter campaign. 
Um, and so I was also hustling and trying to figure out how to do that. And for all those business people paying attention to this uh, podcast, you, you, the thing about Kickstarter is it should really be called Kick Ender. Because really, just like everything else that sounds too good to be true, right. it's there's a whole lot of work that should go in on the front end. And basically, like, there, and there's experts and, and people, snake oil salesmen will talk to you all day long about how to do Kickstarter right. Some of them are good, but there's a lot of them more bullshit. Yeah. But fundamentally, they'll be like, you know, what you need to do to be successful on Kickstarter is a crowd of a thousand people who are you already know are totally into your product before you even think about launching your Kickstarter campaign. And you need their email addresses and their phone numbers and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and a thousand is good and 5,000 is better. And, and, you know, and all of us normal people are like, I got like 200 people on my Christmas card list. Like, I think I got a big (laughs) list and I'm like, I'm friends with 800 people on Facebook. I've been around a long time. And like, you think, you know, people, but it turns out when they, when, you know, when you're asking for their credit card, you don't know nearly as many people as you think. (laughs) So, so it's a, you know, it's a hustle and, and ideally, you know, you're the kind of person who does in fact have a thousand people or can work your different groups, uh, whether that be online groups like subreddit or whatever or facebook groups or what or maybe in person and you're willing to go to your gym and like literally twist the arm of your buddies to get them to do it uh but you know you got to get like a thousand people who are at least willing to sit down and watch your commercial that ideally you is good enough that you don't look ridiculous um to do it oh and by the way that's another thing that i knew i was going to spend money on and so i back in my original envelope math um of making a decent kickstarter video it's like a three thousand dollar thing probably that's about what i spent three to five and um there are people who will charge you more and there are people who charge you less but you know, and I thought in my video, my guy who did it, Matt Abraxas from out of uh, out of Boulder, Colorado, who is new new Focus Media. There you go, Matt, for your shout out. The um, he did a great job. Everybody constantly talks about my Kickstarter video about like that was a great video. I've never seen anything like it. That's amazing, super cool. And my you know, and my bag concept is confusing enough that we did need a good video to show it and get the people get the concept around and matt did a great job but uh and yeah and so then we set up we set a price a goal that had to do really with it was the down payment on the manufacturing of the first run and so it was sixteen thousand dollars is what my goal was and in a third in only 30 days a lot of people now are expanding their their campaigns you can do it it used to be 45 but now i think on kickstarter you can do a 60-day campaign mm-hmm. um so uh, so whatever i did a 30-day one and we got over that mark that sixteen thousand dollar mark and so a successful campaign and it was it was actually quite amazing um you know it was like 40 percent friends and family kind of people who helped me out. Um, and again, I do feel I'm, I'm a social guy. I, I had a decent network, but kind of amazing to think that 60% of these people like found us on Kickstarter. And, 
you know, like some guy in Dubai who, who like backs a hundred different things on Kickstarter. He was one of the guys who <laughs> backed my bag. I'm like, thanks man. Like, <laughs> so it was, it, it was an interesting experience. Any business person should only look at it as just one channel of your multi-channel sales process. And, you know, like anything else, it's hard work and you spend money doing it. Yeah, 30 days just doesn't seem like very much time to raise any amount of decent amount of money for that matter. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Did you see a quick kick right out the gate and then kind of hit a plateau or was it slow start yeah. and then it really ramped off towards the end? Nope, exactly what you described. There was, you know, that first that first day we got up, we were like 40% of the goal. Because of course that's all, you know, I had been pumping my network so hard, you know, 9 a.m. done Wednesday, you know, get on there. <laughs> right. Because that's what you want. You want to burst onto the scene because then the algorithms in there in the Kickstarter system starts bubbling you up to the top and more people see you. And um, it's one of the many little tricks of that whole uh, uh, sphere. Um, so yeah, we had that big bump and then little trickle, trickle, and then plateau, and then you don't hear anything. And, and you know, and you just, I started sweating, but then the slow creep towards the end. And then that's another thing, you know, as a backer, you also, you, there's, they're playing games, they're psyching you out too. The other thing, like, oh, I'm only the kind of person who backs thing if I know for sure it's going to succeed. I'm like, well, that doesn't really help me. But <laughs> on the flip side, I'm horrible. I'm like the opposite. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Oh, it's a long shot though. I'll, I'll pledge, but they're not going to make it. I just, so, and then more than often than not, like, oh, I guess I bought a $70 t-shirt. Oh, well, <laughs> but, um, so people play, it's really hard to figure out what, how the, how it's going to play. But as we got closer to that hundred percent, it's yeah, it kind of creeped over because I think some of the market likes to, you know, like everybody wants to be the last person to get you over the goal or something. I don't, mm. I don't know. Hey, outside of Kickstarter, did you have friends or family that you, that kind of you would tap directly through or did you ask them to go through Kickstarter or any outside investors for that matter? Uh, well, no outside investors as you know, as one would think of that. Um, so yeah, and at the beginning, that was my that was my launch to the company was the Kickstarter. So everybody, you know, my wife's cousin and all those great people who helped me out right at the beginning, I I funneled them through Kickstarter, because I did need that bump right at the front. And um, uh, and maybe this is transition to another thing, uh, another you know because we we got connected because of our fraternity connection, mm -hmm. um, and uh, another my guy. my. <laughs> Theta guy, yeah. And the other, um, the other uh, big reason that I have had the success I've had is my best friend is also one of my chapter brothers from from Hamlin University, uh, uh, Todd Smart, who runs a business consulting company uh, out of Chicago. And he's an entrepreneur himself and has, has had lots of success. And he is. Uh, I, I won't go into all the things he's involved in, but amazingly uh, smart business guy works on a global level. And he also happens to be really into bags and my best friend. So super lucky to have him in, as my, a big resource. So in a way he's an investor in that we talk almost every day. And I, I 
get to use him as my coach and mentor in the business world. And, um, and uh, he was actually in Vietnam with me as well, which was a great party time to do and, uh, and, and went with on the factory tours. So no specific investors, but your question was kind of like, did I lean on friends and family? I definitely leaned on Todd and continue to do so. And of course, on, on your website, with no being more in the product side of the house, you say that I am striving to make the absolute best product with the best materials that will last a lifetime. This seems really counterintuitive to the typical American retail business model, where everything seems to break down or fall apart. I mean, six months, a year down the road, if you're lucky. Why take on this philosophy with a new company, especially during the you know this time period that we're in during? You know, hopefully, yeah, at the end of the pandemic, yeah. But. Well. Not to uh, not to lay a bunch of political cards on the table or anything like that, but um, maybe you can tell by me sitting in a yurt in the woods in California. But I I really care about the environment, and I and and I'm I'm a minimalist also, which is another um, f- facet of my bag design. Like the whole concept is, you could travel the world for months with only this carry-on size bag, and so. To be a minimalist, to try to get people to pare down, which is also from my earlier job back in San Francisco of that professional organizer, stay organized and stay minimal, you know, travel light. I don't want to create a bunch of shit. I I don't want to be the bag that shows up in the in the discount bin uh, that somebody uses and throws away. Um, and so that's why my the, the bag is guaranteed for life. That's why I worked so hard to find the manufacturer who would back up his work 100% so that I could back up his work and my work 100%. And I'm not a shopper. I'm not a guy who's buying new stuff all the time. As you can tell by my extremely fashionable Hawaiian shirt here, that's <laughs> probably, probably 15 years old. But so I just, yeah, I don't believe in consumerism, mm-hmm. which is a weird place to be as somebody creating a, a product, I realize. But, you know, I want to be, I want this bag to be something that helps people so much that they never want to give it up. I want to be the Swiss army knife of the backpack. I want this, like, I'll never leave my bedroom without my Swiss army knife in my pocket. And it's the same Swiss army knife I've been carrying for 25 years. It's actually not the same one, but the same model. If I'm like, "Eh." I think I stole my original uh, one from boy scouts. (laughs) Yeah. 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 This is, uh, this is not the boy scout one. It's an actual Vitrinox, but, um, the Spartan model, which I highly recommend to anyone, just to go in a different direction here for a second, but it does have the, uh, the wine opener on it. And I'll tell you, I have been the hero of so many parties. <laughs> this, this, and this is not the original knife that I first started carrying in like, uh, you know, not in Boy Scouts, but in like the early 90s probably. Because they used to fall out of my pocket in taxis back when we took taxis. <laughs> and uh, so I finally got it on a lanyard. So then I, I stopped losing them. But um but I, I want my bag, I want this journey bag system to be one that lasts forever. Mm-hmm. And my previous bag, before I designed one for myself, was a bag that I bought in 94 in, uh, in, a, in an out, in a outdoorsy shop in uh, Milwaukee. 
And I use that bag for 20 years because I'm that kind of guy. I'm like, I'm not a use it and lose it guy. I'm a reuse it, use it up, make do, make it better, fix it, and, you know, until it goes in the compost pile kind of guy. And if you don't mind, since we talked about the bag enough, you have it with you in front of you. Do you mind just kind of oh, walking yeah. me through there? And folks that are on Twitch or on YouTube can see it then as well. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And I appreciate that. And I've got one coming to you. Yep. And, I'm excited. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I should have thought of that. I should have thought about the shipping process a little sooner, but also, and, and well, I'm sure you have the ability to post this later, but we'll set up a discount code for any of your fans. So we'll use uh, rules of the arena as a discount code. They get 15% off the, the, the uh, you know, the price, the purchase price uh, right off the bat. So, um, so the, uh, before I start waving it around, Mm-hmm. I will tell you, so a little bit of the concept again was, uh, is it's, I wanted, I wanted a system that was carry on size to fit in, you know, 95% of all carry on airplanes back when we took airplanes, uh, system, uh, it's a good size, it's a, it's a size that you can uh, fit everything you need and, and still lift. So even though we're and right now, we're not taking airplanes, the concept of carry on size makes sense and then also um i wanted a system that was modular because there are uh, my my competitors as i so arrogantly say um, there's a number of bag companies out there doing great work they're making great products they're making cool bags but what they're making is a daily commuter bag that expands or that is a really big ass daily commuter bag, like bigger than you need to go to the office or even, even on a weekend trip. Cause they're like, Oh, and then you can take it to Tahiti or whatever, or it expands, undo these clips and it unzips and then it's bigger. And, but then, so you're taking this big bag to the office or on your daily work or your errand run. But then on, on the flip side, or, or they're like, they've got too small a bag and they're trying to make you force everything into that. And um, to, to my personal story was I started using a fanny pack, or as we are, should appropriately call it, a hip pack, <laughs> um, or uh, a bum bag, as they call it in, in the UK. I started using one around my property um, because once I leave my the, my my house, I actually walk out the door, not only do I have my Swiss Army knife on me, but I have a handful of other things that one carries. We all carry with us. Um, women have a purse, but men struggle. And, um, you know, we used to have suits with lots of pockets. I'm also a sports coat guy, so I used to do that. But I'm not wearing a sports coat while I'm out chopping wood here in the woods. And so... Um, you know, you have your you have your mobile phone, which is a smartphone, which is bigger. They're getting bigger in different sizes and more fragile, in my opinion, all the time. You got your earbuds case. Um, for me, I, I've got I'm starting fires, doing stuff, uh, cooking uh, bacon bread on a wood fire, and uh, I got a hot tub that I run with. Uh, so I've got a lighter with me all the time. You got your truck keys with you. A couple other key things. Uh, that you want on you at all times when you're outside, but not all the way to town. So I had this, so I started every day I'm wearing the hip pack and then you want to dig, you want to do your daily errands or weekly errands or whatever. I realized that I was constantly transplanting 
my stuff from my hip pack to my day pack, my, the stuff that I, you know, cause I need more than just this to go to town where I'm uh, not only my wallet and stuff like that, but you know, sunglasses, depending on where you're going and what kind of errand you're doing, you know, a, a water bottle, hat, scarf, gloves, you know, whatever. The the thing you would take as your daily commuter pack, whether you're going to the grocery store or the office or whatever. I was transporting this, uh, transplanting my stuff back and forth. So I started thinking like, wouldn't it be cool if they were one thing? Like the pocket was, you didn't switch it. So sorry for the long explanation. No, no worries. That's where... The, <laughs> That's where the uh, you can edit all that out. The, um, the that's where the concept came from. This concept of the two coming together, coming apart. And then once I had that, then it was like, well, wait a minute. Wouldn't it be cool if we could also connect on a travel piece, so that when you're ready to travel for real, whether you're going away for the weekend, you're going away for a week, whether you're going away for a month, if you're a minimalist, smart traveler, you carry about 20 liters of volume of travel gear. Well, we could connect that. We could use the day pack as the foundational structure to, uh, sorry, my battery's going low for a second. Got unplugged. So that the, this would be one thing. So a lot of bag companies also are like, oh, take our travel pack and then just put a day pack inside it. Well, now I'm carrying two bags. And so that's where my mind was at when I when I got around to the back of the envelope of creating this day pack. So I packed it up totally full, like you would do, like I'm going for a trip for a month, going to Europe for a month or whatever on my way to Vietnam with my carry on size backpack. So there's, there's all sorts of uh, uh, parts to it and all this that, sorry, my battery's going low. I think I'm <laughs> no jumping worries. around in the, and uh, and uh, and then it comes comes unplugged. All right. So uh, yeah, so there's uh, really fancy German-made buckles with magnets in them that you disconnect the travel portion of the bag from the day pack portion of the bag. So the day pack is a small pack. It's about a 15 liter bag or so. Um, inside this bag also normally comes, uh, or it, I don't carry it, but it, uh, I didn't think to put it in here just now, a laptop sleeve that's removable because there are some of us who don't travel with laptops. Some of us do. It's, uh, it only fits a 13-inch laptop, but that's kind of the travel laptop size. It's got the top access pocket here, which the hip pack fits down inside so that's kind of where we ended up with the design process so that your essentials my phone and all my main stuff are still right here at this quick access pocket i leave the hip pack unzipped right so i can get inside here and get oh carry a pen etc <laughs> whenever i want mm -hmm. and that's at the top of my day pack and then the day pack is kind of a typical i mean I think it's amazing. It's got a ton of great features, but I didn't invent any of these features. These are typical things. The you know, water bottle pockets on the outside, uh, really great comfort uh, pack, uh, straps. There's pockets in each strap for like a quick access. Maybe you want a key, your keys in here, your vape pen, what if you're that kind of person, your, uh, your commuter card or whatever. That's like just little 
the quick pockets. There's a secret pocket back here that's totally secure because when you're wearing it, you know, no thief can get in there. You can keep what I've got some extra credit card kind of stuff in, in there. And then there's good organization inside. Again, it's great organization. It's exactly what I think should be there, obviously, but it's it's I didn't invent that. I kind of stole the best practices from a number of different companies on that sure. department. And um and then the travel pack, like I said, goes on there. And this is totally packed. I've got what I would take on a two-week trip, uh, pants, shorts, uh, three or four pairs of sh- uh, th- uh, not pairs, uh, three or four shirts, etc. Parish oh, and uh, pair of shoes fits in this lower section. You see how the the day pack goes into this kind of pocket? Mm-hmm. Well, that cre- creates at the bottom here, this half creates a spot for. Uh, we call we end up calling it the shoe garage because it is um sorry it's hard i don't want to move the camera around too much no we can see it but see this here with the we've got the velcro that holds the, the stuff sack that comes with it and that's a pair of shoes i actually my travel sandals fit <laughs> right in there and then um you velcro it in so that when you open it up it stays inside that day pack there's also a toiletries kit that snaps in on it and it's just kind of the bucket model with mesh on the front keep all your Mm -hmm. stuff in there and then in addition to that the and this is why we call it a system because it comes with all these different parts the laptop sleeve the day pack the, the hip pack the toiletries kit the stuff sack there's also a small tech stuff sack that goes in the day pack and then another key feature which again i didn't invent but I do uh, that two of these come with each system and uh, also gear. I'll guarantee them for life, even though they, they will uh, uh, run out eventually, but just get back to me when they do. But um, it's a hand rolled vacuum bag. Have you ever he- seen any of these things before? Not for travel. Um, for of course, you know, in, in living in northern Wisconsin, hunting's a, you know the national pastime up here, and everybody has the vacuum sealed bags for yeah, yeah. putting meat in the freezer. But that's about it. Oh right, right, right. Okay, yeah. Well, so, but there's also I thought you were going to say winter clothes or your hunting gear. So a lot of people use this kind of thing for uh, long term storage of dried mm-hmm. goods, you know, things like you know your your camo or whatever. But usually they have a thing where you attach the house vacuum cleaner to it. Sure. And, you know, do it like that with the vacuum seal like you do for meat. But these are these have a one way air valve at the bottom of them. So they're like a big giant. Um, what do you call them? Ziploc bag. So if I can get it, my fingers in between here <laughs> that opens up like a Ziploc bag and comes with a little tab thing that's easy to close. Make that Ziploc nice and easy to close. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in here, I've got my socks and underwear and a swimming suit and a sweater. That's our, you know, warm shirt. My travels, this is my travel stuff. Sits in my suitcase all the time. So now you see there's air in there, but instead of having to carry around a vacuum pump or something like that, you just roll this up. I'll try to do this on this table. And I don't know if you can hear the little air thing. Mm-hmm. I put my microphone by it. <laughs> um, but you get the concept. It rolls, yeah. you squeeze the air out of it. And it, you know, it squishes this stuff down, takes all the volume out of it, 
you don't want to put anything in here like your pressed shirts because it'll it'll wrinkle them right. all to hell. <laughs> but with, with underwear and socks and stuff, it doesn't matter. And then um, I I include two of these in each journey system so that as you go through your your trip, you can put dirty stuff in here or even your wet swimming suit and squish it, lock it, seal it. No odors come out. No moisture comes out. Carry it with your with your stuff and so you can work your way through from your clean one to your dirty one and then you get home and poof toss it in the laundry you're unpacked so um i you know i could go on and on about features the zipper has has a a locking feature so you can put one of those luggage locks on it Mm -hmm. for example why ykk zippers all around 450d uh material which is really strong uh but also soft enough like you could use this for a pillow if you had to sleep on the bus if you were gonna um so i'm really really proud of the bag i i work like i said it's it's a thing i want people to to have and cherish forever so there was no expense saved on any of the materials like if there was the the best zipper available is the best possible lifetime guaranteed zipper I put on the system. Um, every seam is you know double sewn and and totally guaranteed by my manufacturer. What else can I tell you about? Oh, those German buckles they're they're called fidlock buckles. It's uh, super cool in that they kind of jump back together because they're magnetized. On the day pack, you can see the little. The little attachment, the little male attachment of the yep. of the buckle, and so it's real low profile. And then there's two more back here, and they don't dig into you. A lot, a lot of people on the Kickstarter were like, "Oh, those are going to dig into my back." You don't even notice they're there at all, and um, and so that's that's how uh, those are really expensive buckles, uh, manufacturing wise, like two dollars and fifty cents a piece and each bag has four of them which like when i told my vietnamese manufacturer that he's like ah well you guys can't do that i'm like no we're getting the absolute best thing there is we're not screwing around so um i'm really proud of it and i can talk about it forever but i'm trying not to be boring so so of course 2020 we're now in 2021 but 2020 has all but shut down travel Especially here, you know, in the United States, aren't we're still not allowed to go internationally for the most part. I mean, how's how have you been able to navigate through the last year? And I mean, how, how do you predict of what twenty one is going to bring you? Well, um, it's been tough. There's no doubt that this is obviously all my fault that I started <laughs> a a travel gear business, a travel and commuter gear business right in the, and launched in May of 2020. So obviously, yeah, sorry. Um, but it's, uh, you know, I think that the product is, uh, is, is going to make it and, and we have been making it. We've been um, doing some decent sales internationally as well. Um, Australia, uh, is, has been in the clear for quite a while. And luckily, you know, I can market to them in their, in my own language. So mm-hmm. that's, that's working out. And again, that's the a beauty of our modern internet that I can couple of clicks on my face, my Facebook business. And I can, uh, and I can market to those people instead of 
people in the United States or in addition to. Um, and, you know, as, as I've been working through this, uh, some people have started to use, uh, started to talk to me about using it as a, as a bug out bag. I don't know if you're familiar with the term <laughs> yes. uh, the, the emergency bag. Yep. All right. I, I figured it being a, you know, uh, um, so, and that I actually, I'm a little insulted by the concept, uh, but, uh, because like, no, this isn't just a thing you put in the closet and only use, uh, uh, for that. Like don't, you know, a couple of cans of soup in your travel kit, like that's, <laughs> that's a crime. Right. This thing's designed to go on a first class trip to Europe. But, uh, but if people want to buy them from me and do that, I can, that's okay. Um, but I, I've, uh, here in, in, on the West coast, uh, people have been talking to me about using it uh, for earthquake preparedness. And in fact, that makes a ton of sense because mm -hmm. with your, with your daily commuter bag, it's got all your stuff in it that you already are using like shit you need tomorrow is the shit you're gonna need tomorrow after the earthquake, right? And your tech and your backup that you know, backup tech and things like that are already in your daily commuter. If you've got to go in a minute, you don't want to be like, oh, I need the charger for my extra battery. Like, where is that? Right? When you're doing that bug out, having your day pack combined seamlessly with your emergency kit, like that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> And so I'm kind of hoping I haven't done it. I haven't spent any money doing that marketing, but there are some people who are talking to me about that as, as a, as a theme to take on. Mm -hmm. So I hope to do that. But also as we all do, I am, I am hopeful in 2021. And I do believe that we're going to get out of this as, as, as we've come out of things all the time. And I'm hoping that we get into the roaring 20s. I think we all are. And um, I do believe there's going to be this pent up desire for travel. And I hope, and again, here getting back to the bigger theme about Idea Mountain and 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 why I want to, I, I am starry eyed enough and to, to say I, I'm still, I am trying to make the world a better place. I hope that by promoting this idea of, of this lifestyle of traveling light, that it in fact changes people's perceptions. And I think we're all, I think we are all changing our perceptions and realizing how important the human to human connection is. Mm -hmm. And when we can get out again, God damn it, we want to go out again. And I'm like, <laughs> all I want to do is go to a beer garden and talk to strangers. Right. Like, <laughs> I was like, ah, I want to go make friends and somewhere and drink and like at a cafe or ah, go dancing. Like, and so I hope that the journey system and, and my pontificating about traveling light, traveling more, traveling with ease will help people, the whole world focus on what's most important about travel and about living in the world. And that is not about carrying five pairs of shoes, but in fact, like your time that you're spending talking to each other. It's like move, move lightly through the world so that you can spend time with people. And I, mm -hmm. and I hope I'm bank. I'm, I guess I am banking on the idea that, <laughs> that this is something that we all want to do in 2021. Right. And I'll admit I'm guilty and I might let my ego come into play more often than not when I travel and I tend to overpack and end up not using everything I need. So for the average listener, 
they work a nine to five, maybe they like to go on a little extended weekend vacation or mini adventure, hiking, whatever the case is. What are the essentials that we should have on us, you know, our, our everyday carry, if you will? Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, everybody has their own um, idea what that means. But uh, for me, uh, the way I'd answer that question or, tr- or do the best I can is I do, I would say, um, uh, you know, a multi-tool is is uh, something that you should carry everywhere except into the airport, which I used to be able to do it in the airports too <laughs> back in the day. But, you know, but, um, but uh, uh, yeah, having having a fundamental multi-tool of some kind, and I'm I'm a Swiss Army guy, uh, and then you know, or uh, of course the the flippant answer is, you know, you only need half the stuff and twice the money, sure. you can get by with anything. <laughs> but um, but uh, you know, extended weekend, um, you know, uh, or any trip, I would think about uh, a versatile clothing that is comfortable a lot of people imagine when they think about a trip they imagine what the movies show you or something like oh i'm gonna wear the flowy skirt when i go to the beach (laughs) or whatever or i'm gonna wear the tweed the seersucker suit when i go into the what and like you you know regular person puts on that or you know they don't want to really be in those clothes very much and if you're not if your travel gear is so different than your normal gear or your normal lifestyle, you're never going to feel comfortable. And then you're going to be like, you know, pinching at your pants or like, oh, these shoes are too tight or whatever. And you're not going to experience the what you know, the experience. And so think about your uh, comfortable stuff. But also when I say versatile, I don't I mean, um, in terms of looks, too. And I think that I think you can get by, by, you know, you can hike in a collared shirt that then can also go into that beer garden or that restaurant to that, you know, for your appetizers at the end of the hike kind of event, kind of experience that, so you don't look like you just were out in the yard working. And so what I tell my friends to do when they're looking for travel gear is, is I'd say, look for something that can go into multiple settings. It can do your day hike. It could be on the shopping trip. It could go to the restaurant, you know, without being stuffy. Yeah. But it could go to multiple places, still be comfortable and be appropriate. Um, enough i'm kind of going around because i'm not answering your question directly because i think it's more of a philosophy than a Mm -hmm. list if i right um i will try to say i will try try again in a different way um what you don't want in any travel situation is a lot of shoes Unless you're doing something really specific, like you're I'm going clamming by the ocean, you need I need my big boots. Like mostly, you need you kind of need two pair of shoes. You need a pair of like active shoes and dress shoes, and ideally they can kind of cross over. Your mm-hmm. your dress shoes are good are comfortable enough that you could walk all day in them, oh, and your active shoes aren't just shit kickers or or flip-flops that could translate into oh you know i'm going to spend the afternoon antiquing with my grandma and and not look like a schlub like so 
but that's all you need. You don't don't take a ton of extra shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you only really need two pair of pants wherever you go. If we're speaking to the guys, you got one pair on and one pair in the bag. Right. You're done. <laughs> you know, um, if, it, if you're going somewhere warm or if it's that kind of warm season, you got one pair of shorts. Um, you don't need to be a fashion plate and and have 10 different outfits on this trip either. Like maybe you're traveling with a partner. They've seen all your clothes anyway. Like they, <laughs> but if you're but if you're traveling by yourself, you're going to see different people. They don't know that you wore that same outfit yesterday. Like, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't, don't overpack to, to, um, to try and impress. Um, and then finally, another kind of general rule. Sorry, I just keep falling back to general rules rather than lists. But um, in that whole wearing the same outfit over and over again, and this, and the idea of versatility, you also want to have gear, all your gear, but your clothes that can can take some abuse. Right. Not only durability, which people who do hunting and, and, and uh, different outdoor gear certainly understand, but also just abuse like like myself, like spilling the olive oil when I'm making lunch. <laughs> you notice how my shirt has spots built into it. That's because I drip, you know, I'm spilling wine or whatever on myself. But the subtle camouflage of of the right kind of clothes can allow you to wear it more than once. So, and there are, there are plenty of clothing out companies out there who are aware of the, all of these things, right? Like you go to REI and you go in their fancy shirt dial. They're not selling you white silk shirts. They're mm-hmm. selling you these like subtle pattern, durable kind of stuff that can go on the hike and go into the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And that's what you want. So. Of course. <clears throat> so if I'm a new, I'm a listener and I'm on the fence, I'm, I'm at that point where I need to get a new bag and I'm eyeballing different brands. You know, why should I go with the journey? Why don't I just go down to mega buy box store or go online and just use my prime account? And I get free shipping that way. Of course. So We've got free shipping now, right now too, in the U S. <laughs> <laughs> so what, why, what's, what sets you apart from the competition? Well, I, I mean, if, if you want to get a, if you want the cheapest bag in the world, you're like, they give them away at the grocery store. Just take two plastic bags. I mean, there's, there are ways to go cheaper. Um, so uh, I do think it is the best design bag out there um, for this particular kind of travel, um, this minimalist, uh, flexible travel. Um, and then I, I hope that people understand my kind of environmental message about the guaranteed for life thing. I don't want, I, I want to get in front of that person who wants to go down to the big box store and pay $19 for a kid's book bag. That's big enough to go somewhere because that's going to, that thing is going to fall apart. You're not going to be happy with it. The zipper is going to break. Something's going to, it's going to tear. It's not going to be organized the way you want. And then you're going to want another one. Well, and where is that? piece of shit going it's going in the trash and 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 so that so those are those are fundamental things like um you know you uh kind of a weird throwback you're probably way too young for this but there was an old tom hanks movie called uh, uh, joe versus the volcano i don't know where i'm going with this i'm gonna i I don't think i I brought this up in a long time (laughs) it's a 
It's a great movie. You should go see it. It's it's from like the eighties, probably. Uh, but in the movie, I won't go into two of it. But he he's gonna die, so he goes on a he gets he goes on a trip. Turns out he's not gonna die. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But what and what actually saves his life is his luggage. So it's in the bad community. This is a cool movie. But what he goes when he goes into uh, to buy the luggage, he, that, there's that famous line, the kind of the kind of dad advice that every parent should give a child who's going out into the world, and that is, get the best gear you can afford because it's gonna la- it's gonna support you and it's gonna last longer, and that is where I want and where I do believe the journey system is, like don't try to nickel and dime your this gear that you want to that that needs to support you all the time um there are other bags so yeah there are other bag companies out there that are in this kind of high quality department and you should check them out like google search that stuff decide i think that the journey system with its modularity and its sleek look can beat out these other companies but if you don't like modular if you just want one big bucket system or something like that or you like that they have a pink one and i don't have a pink one yet (laughs) but whatever bag you get get one that you can carry uh wherever you go that's that's big enough to take what you need but it's not so big that you overpack so now looking back yeah no absolutely just curious though now with the you know with the launch of the company and you have some experience under your belt and you know, what would you say has been some of the biggest challenges you've had to overcome and what have been some of the biggest rewards for you through this journey oh uh, uh, great great podcast question good job terry gross the um <laughs> the um um the biggest challenges for me uh, and again, I'm very lucky to be able to do any of this. So I, I don't, I shouldn't bitch about anything really. I'm, I'm very lucky. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, and trying to take the pandemic out of it because obviously everybody's challenged by that. And I, I, I am maybe more challenged, but uh, taking that out of the equation, you know, it's, it's just like any business owner and any anybody who's read any entrepreneurial books should should already know but i'll say it again for the crowd and that is running a business is really only like two percent inspiration and the rest of it you know can be fun but is a slog not not always perspiration as they as they whatever the thomas edison quote but Mm. the you know you only get to really sell a bag or talk to people about how to pack like 5% of my time, right? Like most of it is trying to figure out which digital marketing agency to go with and like, Oh, and the shipping company and like, which do I work with DHL or UPS and all of that kind of crap. Right. It's so the biggest challenges are, what any business struggles with is the accounting and the funding and the, and the, and the data management stuff, which again, I'm lucky. I have good systems in place and in the modern times, it's way better than it used to be, but that's definitely where you struggle. And, and, and being a sole proprietor, you know, the, I'm, I'm the only guy making the decisions. Mm-hmm. 
I'm shooting in the dark a lot of the times. So I, you know, hiring a consultant, it's a 50-50 shot. Like he could be trying to rip me off. He could be the, the savior. I don't know. I just got to make a decision. <laughs> and being out there by yourself, you always hear that from entrepreneurs about the uh, feeling alone. And I'm, again, I'm lucky. I've got friends of my my family and my my close chapter brother, Todd, has been fabulous. So I'm not as alone as some, but that's the biggest challenge. It ultimately comes down, I'm spending my money and I got to figure out how to do that so that I can succeed. And that's, that's a, it feels like a gamble. It feels scary, mm-hmm. but the rewards are on the flip side. I'm, I'm in charge. I'm, <coughs> I do get at least this 5% chance to talk to people about how travel is great for your life, how, being prepared is how you should go through life and um, and and talking about gear and bags and how you carry things. It, I, I get really excited about that. <laughs> I love to talk to people about what they're carrying and why they're carrying it. And why is your wallet? Why do you have a wallet like that? What do you do? How much do you keep in your wallet? What are you doing? <laughs> like I've always been that guy. A wallet is another thing I intend to sell down the line. I've got some ideas, but so, um, the, the joys are definitely having people excited about they're using my gear and they're loving it. And I get to talk more about how to use it better. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. <laughs> of course, for someone out there that's listening and they have a groundbreaking idea for an idea or product and they're not sure where to go or what to do. I mean, what advice would you give to them? Well, I mean, if it's in all in in, in the uh, in the bag space or even in any sort of travel gear space, hit me up. I'll, I'll let me know what it's like. Let's see if we can work together. And if and if I've got no idea or I think it's a horrible idea, <laughs> I I will try to steer you in the right direction. Um, so so that's the first answer. And the second the second level answer is do your research. Just figure out if, in fact, you do have a new idea, and if you do have this new idea, um, and it is like, figure out if people would like it. Like you have to talk to enough people to see if it's an idea that people would put money to. So don't just talk to your mom because she'll buy it, <laughs> but <Right>. talk to <laughs> talk to the, the the assholes at the bar who give you shit everything and see if they can understand the concept. I mean, that's, that's the first place to start and it's not that hard. Right. And, and if you do have that, well, then do you have, can you the lead and, um, and, and start the real hard work of actually getting the rubber to meet the road? Those are the questions you got to ask yourself. Mm-hmm. And lastly, but most importantly, where can people find idea mountain to purchase their own journey bag and where can they find you on social media and on the internet? Yep. Yep. Thank you. Idea Mountain, ideamountain.com. Uh, like a, like a big pile of ideas, I D E A idea mountain.com. And so on all those, all the platforms from, from Pinterest to Twitter, it's idea mountain and uh, Facebook is probably where you'll see the most content. If you want to be a part of that, a follow or like, or whatever they do on that page, idea mountain has a page. You can contact me, you know, my phone things on the website itself. There's a chat function. It'll come right to my phone while we can chat all night. Um, uh, you can text me. My phone number is on the website. 
you know, I won't answer if it's the middle of the night, but people can try. And uh, so, yeah, so the the website is obviously the best and most direct way to do it. Uh, I do have the bag listed on Amazon, but it, the price is the same. So come to me. You, have it. Uh, you can learn more about how to use it and, and, and what it looks like and what the features are on the website. So idmountain.com. Appreciate it. Thank you. And don't forget to use the promo code at Rules of the Arena and get 15% off of your journey bag. And I'll make sure to put the link in the show description below. Thank you again, Tice. Appreciate you coming out on the show, taking the time to do this. Absolutely. It's a super cool thing. And uh, you obviously, uh, uh, I think you got a career in asking questions. You you do your research and you ask good questions. And um, and, uh, I think you had a couple of beers there. I hope hope that... uh, Oh, it's yeah, on, yeah. I'm, that's one thing I miss about the studios having the two uh, homebrews on tap at any given time while I'm down there. But got to make do up here. <laughs> nice. Yep. Well, good for you. That's that's it. Sounds like a good gig that way. <laughs> well, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. We will catch you next time. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in this week. Without you, this show would not be possible. Many of you have asked, how can you help out? There's a couple of things you can do. First off, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. Make sure to drop a comment down there. Secondly, tell friends, family, coworkers, as folks about the show and convince them to check it out. Lastly, if you'd like to bring new episodes out, head over to patreon.com slash rules of the arena podcast. I have a little tip jar set up there. And make sure to click the link in the episode notes and you can check out the new merch store. The Hammer and Axe collection is available now for a limited time, created by J.E. Collins Photography. And if you'd like to keep in touch with new episodes and guests, make sure to follow the show on Facebook and Instagram, both at Rules of the Arena Podcast. And don't forget to check out the show on Twitch where you can tune into live conversations. Just head over to twitch.tv slash rules of the arena. If you miss a live stream but you still want to check out the video broadcast, don't worry. You can head over to YouTube. Just search for Rules of the Arena Podcast. If you'd like to get a hold of me directly for any comments, questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on the show, please shoot me an email. That's gordon at blindninjastudios.com. And if you're all up to date with Rules of the Arena show episodes, make sure to go check out No Story Left Behind if you haven't already. You can find that on its own feed wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. You can also follow the show on Facebook, Facebook and Instagram at No Story Left Behind Podcast. One last note, the Theta Eta chapter of my fraternity, Theta Chi, is raising money for the USO. You can help out and donate if you are able to by heading over to twitch.tv slash jacobballtrades.com. Starting at twenty four starting a twenty four hour stream Friday, February fifth at two PM Central. Thanks again, folks, and I will catch you next time.